I just call this little series Faith Builders, and we'll get into something else. But, you know, we, we've been through a tough year and a half. And uh, I was talking to somebody today, and he said, man, people just weary, you know. And, um, and, and we were talking, and he's been all over uh, as a friend of mine. And, and he's been all over the place, never caught COVID until he went to the Super Bowl. And, uh, and I told him that's what he gets for going to the Super Bowl to watch it. But anyway, uh, or Super Bowl party, and he, he caught it there. But, um, you know, it's, it, people were tired before the hurricane got here. And, and so uh, when we're tired, sometimes we don't make good decisions. You know, matter of fact, a lot of times when we're tired, we don't make good decisions. And, uh, and so God uses these things to help us to grow. God uses, you know, he'll use his word, the Bible, to help us to grow. He'll use the Holy Spirit to help us to grow. He'll use circumstances to help us to grow. And, and, uh, and so that's kind of what's been going on. He allows circumstances into our lives so that we'll either come to know him and depend on him or we'll grow stronger in him. And so all kinds of situations and problems are going to come into our lives, and God wants to use those to make us stronger in our walk with him. And so that's, that's really what we've, we've got to understand. And, and part of that, you know, we talked about last week getting back on track with God's dream. We've been like in recovery mode, right? Uh, you know, moving limbs, sawing limbs, putting shingles back on your house or tarps on your house and stuff like that. And we're still kind of in that. But last week we talked about looking back at what God wants you to be doing, you know, and, and what's, what's his dream for you, your dream. And we talked about that. And, and he's got a plan for us. We're not here by accident. Nobody in here is an accident. God has a plan for each one of our lives. And, uh, and, but a dream is really worthless unless we act on it. We've got to choose to work on it. And so we're going to talk about how to make wise decisions, or, and that would be a wise decision to follow what God wants in our lives. And, uh, and so we're going, to, we're going to look at that. But let me ask, how many of you have ever made, like me, a bad decision? Anybody? I mean, some of us, and we could probably have some fun. We could probably write a book with some of the funny bad stories. I mean, you know... Um, uh, you know, unwise. I remember one time getting talked into this by my friends. We thought it'd be a fun idea to go ring a doorbell of this guy's house, and uh, and so we went and rang this doorbell. And somebody had obviously rung his doorbell before, because he had he had floodlights out in the woods, and it was lit up where I was at. And he didn't just come walking out of the house by himself. He brought Uncle Smith and Wesson with him, and uh, or it's actually Uncle Remington because it was a shotgun. And, and he pointed that thing towards where I was lit up. My friends are running down the road. I'm doing my best uh, Kamara uh, running back, you know, imitation through the woods. And um, I hear him shooting. At, you know, he's shooting up in the trees above me. I was doing really good until I ran into a tree. And then, uh, you know, and so, you know, not, not all decisions end up well. And uh, since Gil's not here tonight... You know, I made another decision. We were playing down by my dad's uh, charcoal plant when I was a kid. I was a model student. I want you to know that. Sixth grade, crossing guard, you know, man, all that stuff. And we were playing by the railroad tracks, and we'd always seen these train cars parked against these little yellow things on the track. I didn't know what they were called until afterward. They're called a derailleur switch. And, uh, and so we, we just flipped that thing back over the track after this train had backed up into unload the thing, and, and when he's coming out, we knew we'd done something bad, so we're on our bikes, we're taking off, going through the woods, and, and we hear this really loud boom, and uh, that night, uh, our neighbors, who owned the business where the train was at, were having an open house, it was like a 
Home Depot 20 years before Home Depot ever came into existence. And they were having an open house with barbecue chicken, which is one of my favorite things to eat ever, you know. And, 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 and so they're all getting ready to go, and I'm going, no, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of sick. I'm not feeling good. And I really wasn't. I wasn't lying. And, uh, and they came home, and my little brother's going, he's three years younger than me. He's going, Robert, you wouldn't believe it. Somebody derailed a train. The engine's on the ground. I'm thinking, oh, I'm getting sicker. He said they had two cranes out there picking it up and putting it back on the track. And, and Daddy chimes in and goes, yeah, it cost them $36,000. Now, $36,000 in the 60s was a lot of money. And, uh, and so it cost them $36,000 to put that thing back on the tracks. I'm getting real sick. I'm thinking death, imprisonment, you know, all kinds of things. And, and so, but go through the weekend, go to school on Monday. I'm on my way out to recess. It's sixth grade, remember? And, and I'm on my way out there, and Mr. Boston, the principal, said, Robert, come here a minute. And so he said, some gentlemen want to talk to you. It was a Rome City police detective. It was a railroad detective and a gentleman from the FBI. And I knew when the FBI got hold of you, you never saw your mama again, all right? So, so I mean, I'm scared to death. And, they, and I think they knew we did it, but they gave me an opportunity to sing like a bird, and I sung, boy, let me tell you. I mean, I was a rat, if you I mean, you know, depending on what, what you're thinking. I told them everything about what I did, what my friends did, where they went to school, who their daddy's name was, and what the phone number was. And, uh, you know, I mean, and we all told the same story, so fortunately none of us went to jail. Our parents didn't have to pay the railroad company back. But I remember thinking it was so strange when I saw that police car pull in my driveway that evening. And, uh, and, and so I, I went out the back door. We had 50 acres of woods around us, and so I stayed out until it got good and dark, and I came back. It was quiet. I mean, it was like funeral home quiet, you know. I mean, except for my brother laughing because he figured I'm dying and he gets all my toys. And uh, so anyway, but not a good choice. Anybody beside you? I mean, we've made those kind of choices, right? And, uh, and so we want to learn to do a little bit better. And actually, the Bible has a lot to say about making bad choices or good choices. Follow along with me, James chapter 1, it's on the screens. He said this, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. I mean, if we need wisdom, all we got to do is ask. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't waver for the person divided of divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided by God and the world, and they're unstable in everything they do. Now, he's not talking about wondering if God will heal you or wondering if God will answer your prayer. He's talking about are you swinging between believing that God can do it and God can't do it. You're over here, you're kind of thinking, ah, I'm just going to ignore God, whatever, or are you trusting in God? And, uh, and so we'll kind of look more detail at that. And, and so indecision is uh, not good. It's, it, he's saying it's not good because you're swinging back and forth between trust and not trust. And when you're doing that, you're usually heading for disaster because we stop listening to what God is saying. Our decisions determine our destiny. You might want to write that down. And our choices determine our character, whether it's for good or for bad. And, uh, and so we want to want to understand it. Look at some, some, care, some examples of that. Uh, some examples of that. One is Moses. God gave Moses this vision to deliver the Israelites uh, from slavery. 
But Moses had to make a decision. The decision was, was he going to confront the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh? He had to make that choice. He had to make that decision. And uh, he tried to dodge it. He tried everywhere in the world to dodge it. God, I can't talk. He killed me. I mean, all those things. And, and, uh, and so he did. Another example is Noah. You know, Noah, uh, God gave Noah the dream or vision of saving the world from the flood, from a flood that was coming. He didn't know what a flood was. But to do that, he had to decide to build an ark, a boat that had never been built where he was at uh, because it had never rained or flooded or anything, very unlike southeast Louisiana. But he had to make that decision. Abraham is another one. God gave him a dream of being a great nation. Uh, but to be a great nation, he had to make the decision to leave home. God said, Abraham, I want you to go that way. He, Abraham didn't say, well, God, where are we going? Where are we going to end up? Where's the provisions and all that? God said, go that way. Leave your family. And Abraham had to make that choice. And he did. And, and listen, until we can make the decisions like that, we're not going to experience God's dream for our lives. Now, today we want to learn a biblical framework that I think will help us make wise decisions in this crazy world that we live in, whether it's about our families, whether it's about our careers, our money, our health, whatever. And some of y'all are struggling with decisions, difficult decisions. I mean, it could be whether to get married or not get married or to step out of your comfort zone and, and uh, do something like work with children, work with youth or whatever. Everybody can make wise decisions if we follow these steps. So let's look at them real quick. Steps to making a wise decision. Number one, it's kind of obvious. Pray for guidance. Pray for guidance. James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, says this in, in verse 5 of chapter 1. He said, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. We just read that. He said, ask. Too often we don't ask. Asking Jesus needs to be the first thing that we do, not the last resort, right? Uh, you know, so before you go talking to everybody else and getting everybody's opinion, what does God have to say about it? And if you look in his word, he's got a lot to say about a lot of stuff. And, and so as you, as you study the scriptures, as you read the scriptures, as you have a study Bible or like the Life Application Bible or, or a concordance that you can look things up on, or now with Google, you just type something in and, and it'll pull it up. Look at what God has to say and he'll speak to you through his word. He's not going to tell you, by the way, to do something that's opposite of his word. He's not going to you know, tell you to lie. He's not going to tell you to commit adultery. He's not going to tell you to cheat somebody. None of that stuff is he going to tell you to do. He's not going to contradict what he's already told us in his word, but he'll speak to us through his word. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, uh, said this in Proverbs 28, 26. A man is a fool to trust himself. He says, you're foolish if you trust only in yourself. We need to trust in God. He said, but those who use God's wisdom are safe. And, and so we need, to, we need to, I don't know about you, I'm too often the foolish person that's trying to figure it out myself. But we need to look to God. In Philippians 4, 6, Paul said it like this, don't worry about anything. Instead, what? Pray about everything. Listen, I've heard too many people say this. This is too small for God to worry about. Nothing that bothers you is too small for God to worry about. He's, he's, it's not like he's got a limit to what he can concentrate on, all right? He's God. And, and he is interested in every aspect of your life. And there's nothing too small that he's not interested in, and there's nothing too big that he can't handle. And so he says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need, 
and thank him for what he's already done. Let me tell you, one reason he said that, Paul said that, is you thank him for what he's already done, it builds your faith for what he's going to do. When you start thanking him for what he already did, there's no reason why he wouldn't do it again if he's already done it in the past. And, uh, and so you thank him for what he's all done. Listen, we all get crazy ideas in our heads. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. I know one or two of y'all do. Uh, but, um, but, you know, most of the time, those aren't from the Lord because they'll violate biblical principles and truth. So we've got to learn to base our decisions on biblical truth, on principles that God has given us. And that's where, that's where good decision-making begins. And God will never contradict his word. So he'll often, write this down, guide you through peace, his peace. I mean, he'll say, you know, you'll, you'll know there's a deep-down peace. When you know you're doing what God's called you to do, what he's directed you to do, there's a peace right in here. It's hard to describe it. But it's why I became a Christian. I didn't have peace when I closed my eyes. And I made peace with God. Jesus became my Savior. And he'll give you his peace. Uh, and, and outside, if you're violating what he's told you to do already in Scripture, you're not going to have that peace. But when you're lining up with his word, he'll guide you through his peace. Matter of fact, Paul wrote this in Colossians 3.15. Look at it with me. He said, the peace that Christ gives us is to what? Guide us in the decisions you make. So God will give you peace to help steer you in the right direction. He'll make you feel upset about something if it's the wrong direction to go. And so, uh, you know, ask, God, what is it you want me to do? You know, we need to find out what he wants in our lives. That's the first thing, ask God. Second thing is get the facts. Get the facts. Too often we make rash decisions without getting all the facts. Anybody besides me? We always do that. We do that, don't we? I mean, publicly, we've seen that over the last few years. It's social media. People will put stuff on social media on their phones without, uh, without getting all the facts. And then they've got to back up from it a little bit. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, Solomon said this, wise people think before they act. You know, I was, when I read something like that, I'm, I'm saying, God, let me be wise enough to think before I act. Because he said, fools don't, and they even brag about their foolishness. I had one of our deputies, uh, he's, he's a lieutenant, I think, told us one time, he said, he said, we're good at what we do in solving crimes, but really we solve as many of them as we do because people are dumb, and, they, and they, they'll go bragging about what they did, and then somebody turns them in for the money or whatever, or the, you know, or they'll be riding around in what they stole. You know? I mean, it's, you know, it's crazy, and that's what he's saying fools don't. They even brag about their foolishness. So take whatever you're deciding, you know, think about it. Think it through and get all the facts. Proverbs 18, 13 says, spouting off before listening to the facts is shameful and foolish. Now, you know, that's why my mother used to say, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. And, uh, and so too often, though, we don't listen long enough to get all the facts, and we'll start talking and it makes us look foolish. I mean, think about it. How, who in here besides me has ever posted something before you had all the facts, right? I mean, it happens all the time in this social media generation. We see a 15-second video, and we think that we know everything there is about that. I, I, I laugh when I think about this one. We had a uh, one-year Mardi Gras a few years ago. Uh, sheriff Newell Norman was still the sheriff, and we had a deputy that uh, somebody videoed him and the video started when he was on top of this teenager, 
punching him. And oh man, people went all up in arms. And uh, Sheriff Norman let that play out of a day, and the next day he called a press conference. And he said, by the way, I have another video. But everybody's condemning this deputy. They want him fired. They want him hung. They want everything. And then the other video comes out shows this drunk kid come up and push him and start fighting him. And the deputy, it shows the deputy putting him on the ground. He punched him three times. The kid put his hands up and cuffed him. But that didn't show, that one didn't show him on social media. And, and see, man, just, it just all went away when Sheriff Norman showed that. Because, you see, we make our minds up based without all the facts. We need to get the facts. And, uh, and, and you know, uh, the social media post didn't show other kids trying to grab his gun from him. Let me tell you something. You don't do that. You don't do that. You, you know, and so we, we, we need to get all the facts. You might be thinking about starting a business. You need to get all the facts. Do you know 90% of all businesses fail in the first year? They do. And 90% of the ones that make it past the first year fail in five years because they... they and I like what uh, I think it's John Maxwell called this uneducated enthusiasm is what it is. It's like we get enthusiastic, but we didn't educate ourselves. I remember one year I wanted, to, I wanted to buy a Bible bookstore that was going out of business. There's a reason they're going out of business, okay? I'm wanting to buy it. I'm thinking ministry. And fortunately, a man in the church I was attending at the time who was a business owner talked to me. He said, listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't buy this. But I am saying you buy it as a business, not as a ministry. You can't go in there and, and give away books and Bibles because you think somebody needs one. You're in business. There's a reason it's going out of business. And, and, it, and it puts some sense into me, okay? You need to get all the facts. And you need to, you know, and, and so you've got to do that, which leads to the next thing is we've got to ask for advice as well. Number three, we've got to ask for advice. You know, talk to somebody who's made a similar decision. Uh, maybe, maybe talk to some friends who know your strengths and weaknesses, you know, and, um, and, and, and stuff like that. Talk to people who where you want to be. You know, don't, you don't ask somebody about being a doctor that's not a doctor. You want to talk to a doctor. I used to connect kids that want to go to med school. You know, I, I got friends that are doctors, and I would, I would just let them talk to them or, or nurses and stuff like that. You, you, you talk to people who are where you want to be who can give you wise advice. Proverbs, Solomon said this in Proverbs 24, 6. Don't go to war without wise guidance. You better have some wise guidance, uh, you know, good intelligence. Victory depends on having many advisors. Let me tell you, that, that, that's true in anything that we're wanting to endeavor to do. You know, we're, you want to start a, a ministry, you better have some advisors and think it through. Somebody asked Henry Ford, the founder of the Ford Motor Company, what was the secret to his success? He replied, wise decisions. Then they asked him, well, how do you make wise decisions? He said, by learning from the stupid ones. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, it's good to learn from experience, but let me tell you, like my daddy used to say, it's even better to learn from other people's experience. It's good to learn from experience, but it's even better to learn from other people's experience. You don't, have, you don't have to learn everything from your experience. If you really want to get smart, you learn from other people's experiences. We don't have time to make all the mistakes over and over and over again. You know, you don't, you, you don't, have, to, you don't have to look at certain sins to know they're bad. 
Yeah, I mean, the Bible's telling you they're bad. You know they're bad. You see the destruction in other people's lives uh, that it's caused. And, uh, and so if you're smart, you don't want to try and learn everything on your own. You want to try and learn from other people's experiences. I used to always talk about, you know, my dad would, would try and steer me straight sometimes when I was younger. And, and uh, you know, when I quit, quit being a lifeguard in the middle of the summer to roof houses in the south, he told me that was a dumb idea. And somebody said, well, your dad always thought he was right. And I said, no, he was always right. And, uh, I mean, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done right there. I mean, I'd hold the shingle up, and it'd just start stretching. It was so hot, you know. And I'm thinking, I could be by the pool, free burger and fries. Had to lie, you know. But, it, but we don't listen. We don't listen. We've got to learn from other people's experiences. Solomon said this. Plans succeed through good counsel. You want good counsel. You don't want to talk with people who are going nowhere. You want to talk with people who are where you want to be. Don't go to war without wise advice. Don't, don't start something without wise advice. Most of the time we'd rather look wise than be wise so we don't talk to people. We think it's weak if we ask for advice. It's not. It's really smart. Uh, you know, Solomon also said this, pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Those who take advice are wise. That's Proverbs 13.10. So we've got to learn, if we want to be wise, we're going to listen to advice. And, uh, and so let, let me tell you this. We're all ignorant about something, just different subjects, you know. And, uh, and so we've got to understand that. Number four, write this down. Count the cost. Count the cost. You've got to figure out what... What it's going to cost. Listen, there's a price tag on every decision. You need to know that. There's a price tag on every decision, even small ones, even big ones. I mean, you might, you know, guys, you might, you might buy you a new computer or a car or something. Your wife might want a swimming pool or something, you know what I mean? So just know there's a price tag when you go buy it, you know. And, uh, and so when you, when you give your time to something, you're giving your life to it. There's a price tag of time or money. It's always going to happen. Every decision has a price tag. It's going to cost you time, money, reputation, talents, energy, resources. Uh, Solomon said, don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God and only later counting the cost. And so don't make decisions without thinking them through. You've got to calculate the cost of something. What's this, going, what's this commitment going to cost me? You know, it's all, listen, it's all right when people are pressuring you to make a decision to say, you know, I'll get back to you on that. It's okay to say no unless I'm asking you to volunteer about something. But otherwise, it's okay. I mean, it's okay to say, hey, I'm going to get back to you on that. And, uh, and, and so let me tell you, it's not as important to make a quick decision as it is a right decision, a right for you, uh, your relationship to the Lord, and your family. Write this down. It's always easier to get into something than it is to get out. I heard a couple of almost amens on that one. One of my favorite, I, I mean, I love, y'all know I love shoot-em-ups, right, you know? Uh, and, uh, but one of my funny favorite shoot-em-ups is Kelly's Heroes. On this old movie, Donald Sutherland's this tank commander. And, I mean, he is like a burned-out hippie tank commander. I mean, and he's got the tank, and, and, uh, and he's got like a pipe around the barrel to make it look like it shoots a bigger bullet than it does, bigger shell. And, and he's got it rigged. And he's got it rigged so it'll go like 60 miles an hour in reverse and way faster than it'll go forward. And, and the guy asked him, said, why in the world do you have that? He said, I want to get out of trouble faster than I got into it. And so, Don't you wish it was that easy? 
you know, where we had a reverse like that. And, uh, and so, so we've got we've to understand it's always easier to get into something than it is to get out. So it's easier not to get into it. It's easier to make the right decisions beforehand. And, uh, and so, you know, it's easier. And let me tell you, it's, it's easier to get into the wrong relationship than it is to get out of the wrong relationship. It's easier to get into debt than it is to get out of debt. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we've got to understand it's, it's, it's easier to, not, to get into addiction than it is to get out of addiction. And, uh, and so we've got to learn that and, and be able to count the cost and, and see there. H.L. Uh, Hunt, one of the Hunt brothers, a billionaire from Texas, said this. There's only two keys to success in life. One is decide what you really want, and two, decide what you're willing to pay for it. Everything has a price tag. When you're deciding you're going to do something, are you willing to spend the time to do it? Are you willing to put forth the effort to do it? Are you willing to spend the money that it may take you? We've had people in this church that are feeding people. That's cost them time. It's cost them money. We've got people that have helped homeless people get on their feet. It took them time. It took them money. There's a cost to everything. And I'm not saying you don't do it. I'm saying you count the cost, and then you make your decision. Number five, prepare for problems. That don't sound like very good faith talking, does it? Hey, look, every time we try and do something great for God, the devil's going to fight us. And uh, successful people have often said this, expect the best, but prepare for the worst. Expect the best, but prepare for the worst. That's not bad advice. I mean, in faith, we need to expect that what we're doing for God is going to work, but we need to be prepared for speed bumps, thorn bushes, logs, all kinds of things to get in our way and try and trip us up. We need to be prepared for the problems that will come. Solomon said this, sensible people see trouble coming and avoid it, but an unthinking person just walks right into it and regrets it later. I mean, I want to be the sensible person, and I want to see it, and you try and plan for it, and you can avoid that. Now, the wise person knows there's always going to be problems along the way. Like I said, anytime we're trying to do something for the Lord, uh, you know, uh, the devil's going to raise his head. Something uh, can happen. And uh, so ask, what could be going wrong, and what would happen if it does go wrong? It doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. It may just shift a little bit what you're doing. And, uh, and, there, and, and listen, there's a difference between uh, preparing for a problem and problem solving. If you wait to solve every problem before you do something, you will never do anything. But you can prepare as best you can to, to not have the problems that you see might be coming. Spiritually speaking, this means you don't have to answer every mystery or question you might have before you make a commitment to Christ. I don't have to know why the, the tabernacle looked a certain way, why the temple's a certain size, why Jesus didn't uh, heal everybody that he came in t- contact with, why he couldn't do miracles in his hometown. I don't need to know all that before I can commit to it. Matter of fact, look, I'm going to read you a scripture just because God's word's better than I can reword it, so I'm going to read his. Uh, it said, when they returned the other, to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What's this all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. Whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. 
So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. I mean, they just throwing the disciples right under the bus. I mean, the disciples are already coming back. Man, don't tell him we couldn't do this. And then this guy throws them under the bus. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, uh, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a, convul to a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. Now, Jesus didn't get all alarmed. I mean, he's just, here's this kid throwing all over the place, and Jesus said, well, how long has, he been this, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. See, that father thought as best he could that Jesus could, could help him, but he, he didn't have total faith. And uh, he said, help me with my unbelief. Folks, that may be where we're at with something. You might be saying, Jesus, I believe, but help me with my over unbelief. And, uh, and so you just give all you can to all you, all you can to all you know of Jesus. And, uh, and he'll do the rest. Uh, you don't have to solve all the problems, all the, all the questions of Scripture before committing to the Lord. I've been, I've been following the Lord a long time. I've read through the Bible many times. I've studied it. There's still questions I don't know how to answer. You're just not going to get there. But I know the one who has the answers. And, uh, and so, you know, a lot of people are afraid of failing. That's another thing. There was a businessman that was terrified of, of failing, and uh, what he did to get over that was he constantly ran, read Psalm 91. Here's a little excerpt from Psalm 91. God says, because he loves me, I will rescue him. I'll protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him, and I will honor him. With long life, I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Uh, Pastor Kathy's got a little book. We may have some on the shelf out there, Psalm 91. If not, I'll get some. And, and that book talks, it's got stories of soldiers in World War I and in World War II. There were some that were on the beach uh, when they evacuated the Dunkirk thing. And, uh, and other people are getting chewed up by machine gun fire. And this one squad that was quoting Psalm 91 and praying it through as they were running across the beach, not one of them got shot and killed. What's the odds of that? That's not coincidence. That was God protecting them. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, and this, this guy was doing that and helped him with his fear. Whatever it is, we all are going to face fear at some, some level. So number six, write this down, face your fears. Face your fears. It's usually fears at the root of us not being able to make a decision. I mean, it, it's the fear that we're going to make a mistake. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to marry the wrong person. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't, you know, or maybe your fear you're going to embarrass yourself. It's the fear of making a commitment that you can't keep. Or maybe it's the fear that somebody's going to laugh at me or reject me because I'm a follower of God. And I start talking about Jesus. I mean, you talk about God, you start talking about Jesus, people get a little goofy on you. And, uh, and so you don't want to be laughed at. You don't want to be made fun of. It's that, it's that fear of that. And, and so, look, we're not alone. I, I mentioned Moses earlier. Moses used every excuse in the world with God. God, I, I'm not a good speaker. So God said, okay, Aaron can do it with you. And, and then he said, Pharaoh's going to kill me. I'll protect you. You know, I mean, he had every excuse. Abraham said, I'm too old. You know, I mean, he was about 101 when he started having kids. I mean, 
Uh, that's pretty good. Gideon said, I'm too young. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, we got it both ways, you know. Everybody's got an excuse for God. Let me ask you, what excuses have you given God for not doing and being who he wants you to do, to be and do? What excuses have we used? See, God has a plan for your life, and Jesus wants to be part of your life. Some of y'all are saying, I don't have time, I don't have the money, I don't have the experience, I don't have the education, I don't have the contacts, whatever. It's fear that's keeping you from making the decision that God wants you to make. It might be to, to lead a group, join a worship team, help out doing something. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 11.4, If you wait for the perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. You'll never, you won't even get your house cleaned up. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Perfectionism, write this down, paralyzes potential. Perfectionism paralyzes potential. See, God's always used imperfect people in perfect situations to get his will done. He uses, if he didn't use imperfect people, I wouldn't be here, I can tell you. He always, he's always, uh, you know, if, if you're waiting for that perfect person to come along, guess what? They're not coming. There's no perfect person. If you're waiting for the perfect situation to start something, it's not going to happen. If you're waiting for the perfect time to commit your life to Christ, well, today's the perfect time. There's no better time. But basic commitments that you make and decisions you make have to be done in the middle of life. Have to be done while we're having recovery from a Hurricane Ida or we're still fighting COVID-19. You've got to make those decisions uh, because life goes on and we've got to learn to make those wise decisions. So what's the solution for fear? What's the solution for fear? I love this verse, Romans 8.31. Says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? What he said before. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let me tell you, you plus God can beat anything. You plus God can beat anything. He'll give you thoughts and ideas that you never thought of before. He'll 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 help you. And so God, write this down, is on your side. I love the old Mars Bart commercial. Hi, I'm Mars Bart, and I'm on your side. Y'all know he's not. Um but God is. When God says, hey, I'm God and I'm on your side, he is. And if anybody in here is related to Morris, he's a great lawyer. But yeah. You just got to trust God and start moving. You just got to trust. He's on your side. Joyce Meyer says this. She said, you start walking towards what you think God wants you to do and allow him to open the doors. And uh, Pastor Kathy and I are married because Joyce Meyer said this, do it afraid. Do it afraid. When she was trying to decide to marry me, I, I had such a background, she, she was a little afraid. <laughs> so she said, I'll do it afraid. And it's been a great 23 years. In spite of problems, fears, and doubts, the secret that you move against your fear, do the thing, just do it, do it. If you know God's will, God's given you a dream. Make the decision and move against your fear and watch the Red Sea open up in front of you. And listen, he provided manna from heaven for him in the desert. He opened up the Red Sea. I mean, God's going to do a miracle in those relationships. He's going to open doors for you. We just got to look to him to make our decisions. So let me ask you, what decision do you need to make tonight? What decision do you make tonight? You know, don't waste your life. 
just drifting along, just getting by, existing. What Make the decisions that are going to determine your destiny. And, uh, and let me tell you, I'm going to give you four life-changing decisions we all need to make at some point. Number one is you write these down. I, thought, I started not to put them in your outline, but then I said I want you to remember these. One is to commit my life to Christ and become part of his family. That's the, the basic, most important decision any of us can make in life. The best decision I ever made was when I invited Christ to come into my life and be my Savior and recognize that I was frustrated, had a temper, I was angry, I was not happy, I had no joy, and I wanted Jesus because I saw what he had done in somebody else's life. You've got to commit your life to Christ. That's choice number one. The second life-changing decision we need to make is a decision to commit to the habits that will help me grow spiritually. See, there's some habits that will help you grow spiritually. Reading the Bible, going to church, uh, praying every day. Praying and reading the Bible every day, studying the Bible, being around Christian friends. Those are some habits that will help you. Tithing, giving, giving of your time. All those things are habits that help you grow spiritually. You know how I get over my, my greediness and my selfishness? By giving. By giving. You know, somebody put up on our, our, on our feed one of our little red Bibles Sunday on the, on the Facebook feed. And it said this was left without a tip at a restaurant Saturday night. And uh, I hope those people, trying to make us look bad, I took it down so it's not there anymore. But I also private messaged the guy that we always teach people, you put a good tip in there with that. I'm an over-tipper. If, if you're a waitress, you want me at your table. Uh, but, but, you know, we don't leave those out there without a 20 in it, okay? <laughs> you know, and so we need to do that. But... But what are the habits that are going to help you grow? Generosity is one of those habits and in, in, in helping people. Uh, number three, we've got to make the choice, the decision to use my talents, gifts, my shape. We're going to uh, talk about that later. And my abilities to serve God and serve other people. These guys up here singing, they're using their talents and their abilities and their gifts. Number four is we've got to make the decision to share Jesus with other people. That's one of the things he wants us to do. That's why we're doing a harvest fest. We're going to share the love of Jesus. Everybody gets candy. He's going to get a little red Bible. It's got information about the church in it. Uh, we're not going to do a whole lot of preaching, but we're not doing scary stuff either. It's, you know, uh, all that. But we want to share Christ with others. And, and so we'll be doing some more talking about that. But we want to learn and get better at when we're talking to someone of seeing an opening to just relate Jesus to them in a way that maybe relates to where they're at right then. You know, just like Samaritan's Purse is going around right now chainsawing trees off people's houses. And you know what their answer is when people say, why would you volunteer to come do this? Because we love Jesus and he loves you. And it opens the door. When somebody has sawed a tree off your car or your, or your house or gutted your house, it opens a door for you to listen to what they're saying. People are coming to know. We've got police officers that this has impacted them emotionally and spiritually with people volunteering to come help them make their houses whole while they're protecting us. It's, it's making a difference. So we need to make that decision. We're going to share Jesus with somebody. It might be that you're out feeding them. You know, we got a couple of families who've been feeding linemen. And, uh, and these guys are saying, usually we're used to people shooting us the bird, not feeding us. You know, because, hey, look, everybody wants their power back on. My brother worked a hurricane one time. And uh, they were down, he's a linesman, and they went in a cul-de-sac, and the people in the cul-de-sac blocked the street 
so they couldn't get out until they hooked everybody up. And, uh, you know, just stuff like that. And, uh, and so these guys are going, man, y'all are feeding us. And so, well, Jesus loves you. We love you. We appreciate you. And so, guys, there's all kinds of ways we can share. Uh, bow your heads with me, if you will.